Good morning. It is good to be with you this morning as we wrap up the four-week series we have been doing on relationships. This is part of our recurring Live Free series that we do here about the intersection between our mental and emotional health and well-being and our spirituality and discipleship to Jesus. So we have talked about this month how God created us to be in relationship and we crave true belonging, but we live in a pretty disconnected world where few people actually know our true selves rather than the curated version we put out there. Then we spent a couple weeks with Rob talking about how to make those connections and how to relationship well. Asking, who is this me I bring into relationships? Looking in the mirror and asking if we would want to be in relationship with the me that we're putting out. So in light of those things, today we were talking about how in relationships, whether our relationship with God or a relationship with other people, we need to know we're loved. So I want to start by telling you about you. You are loved. And at Outlook, we say, like, we love everyone and we want to do our best to do that. But that's not what I'm talking about here. You are loved by God. Truly loved by God. And while we're in here this morning, our kiddos in the Children's Center and the Kids Zone, where I normally am, are finishing their August series. Their memory verse all month has been Psalm 139, 14. Written by David, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. You are fearfully and wonderfully made made intentionally and on purpose by God, and God loves you. I hope that kind of maybe gives you some warm and fuzzies, strikes some awe and wonder at like the goodness of God and that amazing truth, because it's true. But also, David starts one Psalm 139 in verse one by saying, you have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. God knows you, all of you. The parts of yourself that you might be proud of and the parts of yourself that you'd rather not think about. God knows those things and God loves you. Now, if I may be so bold as to take a guess, I guess most of us, if not all, at some point have questioned whether so-and-so would still love me if they knew this true thing about me that I do my darndest to hide. God knows and God loves you. Do you believe that? Truly and honestly, do you? I can say, I know I have questioned God's love for me because of A, B, and C, or D, E, and F about me. But I'm also here to tell you that truth that I know and keep coming back to, God loves me and God loves you. I know I'm starting to sound a little bit like a broken record. And I'm gonna move on here soon, but as we spend this month talking about human-to-human relationships, we have to pause. Because before we can genuinely consider accepting that another fallen human can love us, We have to accept that God does. Our ability to truly love other humans and be loved by them comes from the love of God. Now my small group here at Outlook, we recently read this book together called Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. It is a read, it just refreshes your soul. The most refreshing chapter for me was called He Loved Us Then, He'll love us now. So Ortland writes, perhaps as believers today, we know God loves us, 
But if we were to more closely examine how we actually relate to the Father moment by moment, many of us tend to believe it is love infected with disappointment. Which Ortland goes on to say is a result of projecting our own capacities to love onto God. Now we use the imagery of a parent and a child a lot when we talk about the relationship between God and us, but even the best parent experiences disappointment and frustration and has limits and capacities. Projecting our capacities to love onto God incredibly short changes who God is. For God does not just have love for us as we have love for another, God is love. God has never stopped loving you or ever even considered loving you any less. If he did, he would cease to exist because God is love. A God who loves you only halfway is not an option on the table. His love does not run out or ever become less. The hard work is already done. Jesus has already died for you and secured victory over death. You are secure in God's love important pause here. If you have never heard that before or have never said yes to accepting this gift of love, we would love to share more with you and have a conversation with you about that. You can reach out to us by visiting outlookchurch.org slash yes. I need you to know you are loved. That could be the end of a sermon, but Not today, for today our task is to take that love that exists between each of us and God, the love that goes up and down in our relationships, and spread it out horizontally. So we're going to turn today to 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Before we read that, here's a little context for you about this short little letter, more of a sermon almost, of 1 John. It's found near the end of the New Testament in one of a few letters written to some house churches likely in Ephesus, as an encouragement. Because the Christians there experienced a crisis. Their church split. Devastatingly, a group broke off because they were no longer teaching and acknowledging Jesus for who he really is as a Messiah and Savior. So this writing is an encouragement to stay true to Jesus' teaching, to adhere to that truth, to be the church that God intended and designed them to be. Final heads up, love is used 27 times in these 15 verses. It's written in the style of amplification in which the author repeatedly cycles around an important idea, in this case love, from slightly different angles. So that said, let's read verses 7 through 21 of 1 John 4. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. 
And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Love. If only it was so easy, as easy to do as it is to write about. So I invite you into this tension of wanting to love like God, but not being God, having human capacity. It can feel a little defeating, but we're gonna reread verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We are simply humans and we do not have the capacity to love perfectly as God does, but that same love that God has is in us. God planned for his love to be completed in us. We live in this time of what some theologians refer to as already, but not yet. As verse nine says, Jesus came and showed God's love among us. His love is already here on earth. Jesus brought it, but Jesus did not stay. We have been promised a second coming. We know Jesus is coming back, but he's not back yet. So in this time, this in-between, this already, but not yet, we, the church, are called to be God's expression of his love and presence in the world. As we consider being that presence and being in loving relationships, so we gotta remember, there are circles of relationships in each of our lives. You've likely heard of these social circles before, from strangers to professionals, acquaintances, friends, family. I found some images that were new to me as talking about this. They made me chuckle um, because they break these circles up into the type of greeting that you might give. So you know the strangers that you kind of wave at to be friendly or like the professionals that you give a handshake for, the like side hug people versus like the full hug people. And yes, God calls us to love all of these people, but just like a greeting differs based on relationship, the way you extend God's love naturally to your waiter or your doctor is very different to how you love these people who you would consider in your closest circles. Those you have chosen to do life with, your spouse, your roommate, your small group members and closest friends. So where do we start with those people? How do we build deep loving relationships and keep them healthy? We don't actually start with love. Stick with me, we start with trust. In their book, The Relational Soul, Ploss and Cofield talk about moving from false self to deep connection. So our first task is to learn to trust. To open our hearts to God, we must be willing and able to trust. Our capacity to trust is our capacity to love 
and be loved. Trust. Now for me, and you can check if this is true for you, for me the people who I trust the most are the same people who I love the most and I receive love from. I trust them to love me no matter what. I trust them to show up for me and when they show up for me, I know they love me. Because trust is not something we offer freely at the same level to every acquaintance in our lives. Trust must be built in order for love to come. And real trust is built through vulnerability. A couple weeks ago, Rob referenced a book by Kurt Thompson. He's a psychiatrist and a Christian. And in his writing and teaching, he navigates these two worlds of brain science and spirituality. So he's like real smart. Among many things that Thompson does, Thompson co-hosts a podcast called Being Known. And a decent chunk of the first episode turns into this like sweet little brotherly love fest where Kurt and his co-host, who's clearly a good friend, Pepper Sweeney, share how grateful they are to be known and formed by one another. They make sure to share that it wasn't the first time they met that they started bearing their souls to one another, but through many years of friendship, they have been vulnerable and grown to truly know each other on a deep level. And just by listening to their interaction, you can tell, you know that they love one another. In the second episode of their podcast, they share a couple important notes about vulnerability. Now, if you kind of cringe at just that word, vulnerability, That's okay, and it's a little expected, because the act of vulnerability is defined as exposing ourselves to potentially being hurt. You are sharing something about yourself that you have likely worked to keep hidden up until that point. At the same time, it's exposing yourself to pain, though vulnerability is also a bid for intimacy. When you are willing to share something about yourself that you have likely worked to keep hidden, You are inviting someone to know you deeper, to more fully know your true self. Being vulnerable is scary on all levels because it's letting someone know you more. The thought that someone knowing this piece of me might change whether they love me is scary. Whether it is sharing your secret guilty TV pleasure with someone, hoping they don't judge you, or sharing a deep struggle with sin that you have to fight off daily, It would be hard enough if we had all always been met with love and open arms, but I'm sure we've all been hurt at some point because we trusted the wrong person with the wrong level of vulnerability. So being vulnerable is a scary thing to do. But have you ever experienced the relief that can come from letting someone in? To say out loud what you're ashamed about, what you're scared of, or what might be pushing your buttons? Over the past year, my mom fought and won her battle with breast cancer. And it was hard to tell my small group, my coworkers, some of you. My family lives in Ohio, and like I potentially could have kept it a secret. And it was tempting for many reasons. Saying it out loud made it seem real, made it scarier in my brain. I didn't want an excuse for why I might be distracted. But the freedom and the relief that came from sharing and knowing I wasn't carrying that burden alone, even when my family is at a distance. Vulnerability built trust and it opened the door for genuine, supportive love to be shared. On the flip side, have you ever experienced the understanding 
and extended grace and richer relationship that can come from knowing someone better. Now, as a kids minister, I would say it's high on the list of my job requirements to have patience. When I've made the right choice to get enough sleep on any given Saturday night, that's typically not too hard for me on most Sundays. But when a child shares something with me or you as a parent share with me what's going on in their life, I and the entire kids team, I can better know how to love them. I can understand how the experience of loss or teasing, a diagnosis, a new medicine affects how they're able to participate on a Sunday morning. And we can better love each and every kid because there is no single mold. God made us each uniquely and we all need to know we are loved for who we are regardless of what we're going through. Now Rob has been asking the important question over the past two weeks, who is this me I bring into every relationship. When we are vulnerable with another person, we hope that we can trust them and we hope they gently receive and care for the peace of our souls we just gave them. And if we want people in our lives who we can trust with our vulnerability and be loved by them, we have to be ready and able to offer that in return. And sometimes we have to offer that first. Our vulnerability needs to be met with love in order to make progress in a relationship, and we have to meet others with love. Now, as you attempt to be vulnerable and hope for others to love your true self that you show them, not the edited version we attempt on social media, or just when we're trying really hard, but show them your true self. As you make those attempts, you will be more receptive to the true self of others. Receptivity is the fruit of trusting God and others. Openness, approachability, receptivity is the spirit we give off when we experience the blessing of trusting God and being able to trust others. We love because he first loved us. We forgive because we're forgiven. We are open to others and receive them in grace because God has received us in grace. For me, in my experience, that what my small group has been, a group of people who have received me, all of me, in grace who are committed to showing up for me, and I for them. You heard in the video we watched just a bit ago from a group of people who didn't know each other but had God's love and grace in common, and now they are showing up for each other in all seasons. I do want to pause and make a really important note here as we talk about being known and loved in relationships and living that out, especially in small groups. We have a tendency as humans who are living in a culture of immediacy to welcome someone genuinely in love, to extend deep grace to them, and then want to fix them or solve their problem or change them. And don't get me wrong, physical acts of love by showing up for people or providing for them are important, but we have to be oh so careful to offer true hospitality and receptivity to others. Our presence will be a hospitable presence as it bears the hospitality of God that offers a welcoming space, a space of rest and comfort, a space of grace and truth where they will encounter the love of God in our presence. God does not call us to change people. God calls us to love them, to show them what relationship with God is, to invite them in to that relationship so that God can change them through his perfect love and grace. Now there are a couple of verses here in the middle of 1 John 4 that can easily get taken out of context as it talks about fear. 
1 John 4, 17 and 18. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Let it be noted, these verses don't talk about the relationship between one human and another. They are not saying that if we find the right people that truly love us, that we don't need to fear pain or loss in that relationship. But these verses talk about the relationship between each of us and God and points out why we don't need to fear punishment from God. We don't need to fear the judgment seat that some preachers like to use as a threat to gain conversions. When we abide in Christ, we need not fear because the love we receive from God will flow out of us. Verses 19 and 20 from 1 John 4 say we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. When it comes to love, theologian N.T. Wright writes to picture it like a simple door. The door that lets out your love to God is the very same door that lets out love to our neighbor. You cannot love one and not the other, which also means if you are loving one, you are loving the other. If you love God, his love flows through you and your words and your actions are that of love for others to receive. If you are loving your brother and your sister by caring for them and supporting them, then you are loving God. What we are faced with is no easy task. To love well is hard. To relationship well takes effort. And we're gonna keep wrestling through that together and we're gonna figure it out, church. So what's your action step today? Maybe you just need to sit in God's love because you need to remember the truth that he loves you. Maybe you need to be vulnerable with someone so that they can carry that burden with you in love. That can be in a small way to just begin building a relationship of love and trust that you're needing, or deeper if it's a longer standing relationship. Maybe it's to remind someone that they can trust you and you love them. So we think about that, and as we wrap up, let me give you a glimpse of hope, a picture of what it looks like if and when we do these things well, found in Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. So in this short psalm, David writes of two simple word pictures. The first, like a precious oil poured on the head, running down on Aaron's beard. To remind the reader of the time that Moses anointed Aaron as Israel's first high priest. Now, some of you were at the back to school prayer night just about a month ago already, where we talked about anointing, and we anointed you. You might remember if you were there, there are many anointings all throughout the Bible, in which people and places are anointed with oil to mark them as the bridge between heaven and earth. For example, the tent known as the tabernacle that the Israelites carried with them as they wandered through the wilderness in the Old Testament, God instructed them to anoint the tent because it was the place where God was present. 
So here in this psalm, David refers to Aaron's anointing as a priest, a person who was the go-between from God to people at that time, the bridge between heaven and earth. God's people living together in unity is a mark of God's loving presence here on earth. The second word picture is that of the dew of Hermon. Mount Hermon to the north of Israel was the highest mountain on the land. And because of its elevation, it received more dew than anywhere else in the dry land of Israel. A refreshing dew that anywhere else in Israel would have envied. When living in love, caring for one another, coming together as one despite differences, characterizes God's people, it is refreshing to the soul. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. When the way they live in loving relationships with each other brings God's blessing and presence to earth. May that be said about how we live. Let's pray. Lord God, we gather here today to worship you and to experience your presence. Thank you for the love that you extended to us when you sent Jesus to bring your perfect sacrificial love to earth. And thank you that you are love and continue to love us all. We pray that we can be the bridge between you and this world, that we can abide in you and share that love with those whom we are in relationships. Please forgive us for the times we have broken trust and help us to forgive those who have broken our trust. Help us each to form deep, loving relationships that are honoring to you. And God, bring people into our lives that desire the same and help us to step out in faith. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.